Okay, you can find your way back to Colossians, and I will start our PowerPoint here so you guys can follow along. Uh, there are some notes, or were some notes, on the back table if you'd like to follow along with those. Um, and here we go. All right, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, if, if your Jesus is too small, guys, this is the chapter to go to. Uh, this is one of those places in the Bible that paint a portrait of the person and work of Jesus uh, in a way unlike most other places. Uh, Hebrews 1 comes close, so Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, those are your two places to go, uh, particularly in the New Testament. But we have seen uh, in the last several weeks the person and work of Christ, and that's what Paul is calling us to do as he relates this letter to the Colossians. Remember, as he's writing to them, what's happened is uh, the Colossians have become uh, distracted from Jesus. The church is still relatively new, and their uh, new Christians are learning how to walk with God and, and live life in a way that uh, is in line with their faith and to share the gospel with others. And uh, just like has happened literally from Genesis 3 on, things are going to come up to, to challenge that plan. And in the case of the Colossians, uh, this church that used to be in a very prominent part of town, and now they, 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 they did the reroute through uh, Laodicea and some of the other um, cities and the surrounding areas, and now Colossians is sort of this, uh, uh, it's not a shrinking town, but it, it wasn't the thriving metropolis that it once was, and uh, some false teachers have come in, and they have started a new heresy, and uh, every generation of, of church history knows new heresy, and uh, so this is interesting, um, and this, I think we even learn from this when we think about, you know, how do you, how do you talk to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and you know, what do you do when you're talking... He, he doesn't start by saying, well, let's talk about why the heretics are wrong and tick, 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 right? He, he starts by saying, let me show you why Jesus is better. And he unfolds that. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes the way to help people is not to start with the wrong thing and correct it, but to show them the beauty of the right thing. And that's Paul's wisdom. That's his approach in what he's doing here. Uh, just, let's just remind ourselves where we've been. Chapter 1, verse 3, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself, here's the point now, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Okay, let's just stop right there. And uh, sorry, I didn't bring it up here. So there we go. All right. So, so let's, uh, let's meditate briefly in our review of the, the person and work of Christ. Uh, you'll notice... Um, as, as we look at that section there, we first of all see the Father's rescue plan. This is not in your notes. This is review. The, the main heading is there. But just because uh, I know some of you haven't been here, I don't want to shortchange you because these are such great verses and we could go over them again. But, but notice he's saying, look, God the, God the Father sent Jesus as a rescue agent. And we need 
We need rescue in different domains, different parts of our life. And this is what gives the gospel sort of this kaleidoscope of beauty as we think about it. It's not this black and white gospel. It's not this you know, pencil drawing gospel. This is a, a glorious portrait of who Jesus is and what he's done. I mean, just look, review with, with, with me. In verse 13, he talks about how God rescues us through Jesus from the domain of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We need rescue in terms of the kingdom that we reside in. Uh, number two there, we need rescue from bondage, right? We're, we're bound, we're, we're uh, in bondage to our sin, and Christ comes in redemption, buying us out of sin and bringing us into his own family. So we need rescue from bondage, we need rescue from guilt. Uh, this is a, a legal idea, this is courtroom imagery where we stand guilty before God and Christ comes and offers his life a ransom for many. Uh, he, he bore our sins and God punishes him instead of us. His righteousness gets transferred to our account so that God can justify us or pronounce us not guilty and forgive us of those sins because Jesus has paid our debt. So we need rescue from guilt. We also need rescue from alienation. This is a relationship realm as well as the idea of peace that our sins separated us from God and in the gospel Jesus redeems us and reconciles us and brings peace where where there was previously animosity. And then finally, we need rescue from wickedness. This this is the moral dimension of salvation, that that we're living in our sin and in the filth of the wickedness that we live in, and he rescues us out of us, cleansing us. This idea of holiness has the idea of separating us apart for himself from our sin unto righteousness. And uh, so so those, those different realms, it's it's almost criminal to do a drive-by of the gospel like that, isn't it? But, but this is review. So, but but that's, that's the beauty of what he does in the work of Christ, which is the Father's rescue plan. And, of course, he's going to use a certain person to do that. That's the Father's rescue agent, the person of Jesus. Because we, we look at this plan and we go, man, who's worthy to do that, right? Who, who can do that? Well... This is the guy who can do it, the one who's the image of the invisible God, the one who is the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean he was born like Jesus didn't exist at some point. That just means he's supreme over his creation is the idea there of that word. He's the creator of all things. He's the goal of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. Jesus is the one who spoke everything into existence. You remember uh, Psalm says he commanded and it stood fast. He spoke, and it was done. That, that's Jesus. That, that's this great Savior that Paul wants us to see here. And, and not only does he create all things, he is the man behind the curtain, pulling the levers, pushing the buttons to run the universe today. And we woke up today, and the sun came up, and there's hydrological systems going on with the rain, and we're breathing air, and your heart's beating away. And all those things are sustained by the Word of the Son of God. And it's just... It's just overwhelming to to think even at a couple of examples of that, let alone the the billions and trillions of systems that he's sustaining today from as personal as as your circulatory system and as vast as this, you know, 5.5 times 10 to the 23 mile wide universe and all its systems in it. Um, So that's Jesus. He's the maker of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the first to rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we have a confidence that when we die, united to him, we will rise with him one day too. That 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 death is no longer a threat to us. 
because he rose from the dead. And, of course, he's the fullness of deity. Notice the, the, the inclusio there, the, the book ends, right? It starts with the deity of God. He's the image of the invisible God. It ends with the deity uh, of, of Christ there. He's the fullness of deity, emphasizing his godness. And then notice the purpose there down in the corner, so that he himself will have first place in everything. That's Paul's point. Because Jesus is who he is and he's done what he's done, you ought to make him to have first place in everything. You say, what does that mean? Well, he's going to use the rest of the letter to tell you. He needs to be first place in your personal life. That's chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. He needs to have first place in your relationships. That's 3, 12 to 17. He needs to have first place in how you do family. That's 3, 18 to 21. First place in work. First place in your devotions. First place in your evangelism. First place in, say it, everything, right? That's the book of Colossians in a nutshell right there. Um, and everything else is details, okay? So let, let's uh, let's get in the weeds here a little bit and uh, pick up where we left off. Uh, now notice, so here's Jesus, here's what he did, here's who he is, and then Paul's going to step further and say, but you know what, that's not enough. Who Jesus is and what he's done does not help you until you trust in him alone for your salvation until he becomes your savior through repentant faith and that's why he's going to encourage the colossians here in 21 watch watch the pronoun change he's been saying jesus and god and jesus and he now watch the change after and although verse 21 and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind engaged in even evil deeds 22 he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body no see how he's personalizing his theology there and this this is so important. The Psalms do this, and I love that Colossians helps us with this here. We must personalize theology for it to have an effect in our life. Um, you guys are well taught, right? I mean, Pastor Terry, we get fed so well every day, don't we? You get you get fed really well in your home group. You get really well fed in small groups and in Sunday school classes. And we have lots of theological education. But what Paul is arguing here is it's not enough to know stuff. You you have to trust in Christ so that this thought that this theology now becomes. Uh, relative to who you are in, in your walk with God. That's why he says he's now reconciled you in his fleshly body. And, and that's, a, that, that's so important. Even if you've trusted Christ as a Christian, what he's saying is you need to think about that. Don't just think about who Jesus is and what he did like, oh, he's out there, what a great savior he is. It's like he, he saved me out of the domain of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son. He saved me out of the bondage of my sin and redeemed me. He saved me from the guilt that my sin brought before a holy God and and he, through his substitutionary work, took my guilt, forgave me, and granted me uh, salvation in that. So we we have to meditate on the fact that that this has become true for us as we have trusted in Christ. And, And when we do that... It's it's just like watching football, guys. I mean, it really is. Um, I, it, I know I know I use football a lot, but that's where I live, uh, it, right? You know, you can say I love Texas A&M football. I love the Aggies. You know, they're they're a great team. But that's not it. You, you want to put your your uh, uh, jersey on and your hat on, and you sit down at the game. You get a whole bunch of friends together. This is our team, right? That we're gonna win. And, and you're, you're personalizing it when you watch your team, right? You're you're not oh they're they're over there just kind of doing their thing and. And in a much more profound and important way, we want to meditate 
and, and personalize what God has done through Christ in terms of its effect on us. And, and, and just like football, you know, if you don't ever think about your team, you don't think highly of your team. But that's not what most of us do. We think about our team all the time. We monitor stats. We watch it on there. We buy apparel. We do all of that. And that's what creates a love for the team, right? And if we will meditate on the personal work of Christ and particularly his work for us, that grows our love for him. Much more important than college football. There's a quote for the day. Ugh. Okay, so, all right. So uh, so how do we access that? You know this, the steadfast faith in an immovable gospel is how we do that, right? He talks about that in verse 23. Okay, now, so that's all review. Next, follow Paul's example by embracing your ministry. Follow Paul's example by embracing your ministry. So he says, okay, you've here's who Jesus is. We we're thinking about personalizing it, right? Now look at verse 24. Now I, what's the next word say? Now I, say it. I can't hear you. Are you sure? Rejoice. How many have a Bible that says rejoice or something like that? Okay, I want you to pay attention to that, okay? Because then the next work is, is going to knock you out of your chair, okay? I rejoice in my... Okay, let's pull the car over here. Um, d- does that rock your world a little bit? Um, I, I'll be honest, I don't fall out of bed thinking I rejoice in my suffering. In fact, when suffering arises, I run away from it. And I try everything I can to fix it and avoid it. And, and again, th- there's a proverb that says, you know, the, the prudent sees evil and hides himself. And God, it's not godly to say, oh, look at the danger over there. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's not what we're saying. What he's saying is, when God brings suffering and affliction, it is possible to rejoice in that affliction. And if that, if that's radical, just, just stay with me hypothetically for a minute, okay? Cause, cause we want to let Paul convince us of how that can be true. Now, those of you that came with us in James, we got a lot of that in James, right? So, so you, you may be on to where Paul's going to go here. But, but just, just stay with me, okay? For now I rejoice in my suffering. Now, what, what's, what's the purpose here? For your sake. So let, let's talk about the first... What's he saying? Why is he rejoicing in his suffering? And if we remember the context of Colossians, he's currently in prison. He's been beat up a few times. He's been run out of a bunch of cities. He spent some night, uh, some nights in jail. Um, he's, um, his shipwreck hasn't happened yet. but the, or Actually, it has happened. Uh, so we'll know about that. So this guy's been through a lot. What is one of the keys to him coming to the conclusion that I can rejoice in suffering. Sally? So, so uh, dads, let me let me look at the dads here, granddads here. If your young child, you looked up at the pool and your young child is is drowning in the pool, or your granddaughter, grandson, would you think twice about jumping in and getting him? 
right? What if your house is on fire? Do you think twice about running in there and trying to help somebody? Of course not, right? See, see, we are willing to suffer for things and especially people that we deem valuable to us, don't we? And that's part of his argument. He's saying, Sally's right, I rejoice in my suffering if my suffering in some way serves these dear people over here. And, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but ministry is not a vacation. Right? Evangelism is not easy. Um, bearing with unbelieving family members that think you're crazy, that think you're a part of a cult because you believe the biblical gospel. And you keep on loving them. And you keep on trying to find ways to minister to them. And you inconvenience your schedule. You sacrifice your time and your money. You, you reorient your vacation. If possible, that you might have one more conversation that might bring gospel hope to somebody that you love. Right? See, see, that's one of the keys. Christians will say, oh, suffering. I love suffering. You know, yes, I do. I, I love suffering. How about you? I mean, that's, that's not the battle cry of Christianity. It's I am willing to suffer because I love Jesus and I love people and it's worth the sacrifice. Okay, you say, okay, so, so how do we get to rejoicing? It is, and here's the Bible's perspective, it is a privilege to suffer in a way that might yield gospel dividends. That's the Bible's argument. Uh, just like just like we might honor, it was just Memorial Day, right? We, we might honor a fallen soldier who took a bullet to save his buddy. Right? We say that's an honorable thing. That's something we rejoice in, even though we grieve over the loss of life, right? And again, in a much more significant way, we rejoice in the privilege of suffering for Christ, knowing that it benefits other people. That, that's the spiritual calculus that he's trying to help us to understand here. So, do you have a question? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. This is my faith. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing because it causes them to have to stop for a moment and really think about this. This is what they were taught. That's right. I, I thought this was something completely different. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, and it really it puts the spotlight on the value of what we believe too, right? When we sacrifice for other people, they're like, you know what? They're really taking this Jesus thing seriously. He, Jesus must be very valuable to them. And, and so suffering, all suffering demonstrates our value. Did you know that? I mean, what we're willing to suffer for demonstrates what we deem valuable and worthy. And again, the argument here is because we deem Jesus to be so valuable, we're willing to suffer for him. And what that does is it shows a, a, a broken world who needs Christ the value of him in that way. Okay, so with that, okay, so that's the first part of it. Now, now, is your seatbelt fastened? Look at this. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up 
what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Whoo, okay. What does that mean? Any ideas? Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, so let's, let's start with what we know it doesn't mean. Okay? Sometimes that, that makes it a little easier. We know it doesn't mean that in some way the work of redemption was incomplete. Right? How do we know that? Because he just spent verses 13 to 23 showing us the sufficiency of redemption. Right? So, so we have to rule out the possibility by context, right? Context is everything that he's somehow saying that Jesus' work of redemption is insufficient. But what Carl is saying is true. What he's saying is the work of redemption is complete in terms of Jesus accomplishing it. But it was Jesus' divine intention in spreading the gospel around the world, that he would take members of his body, the church, and call them to suffer alongside of Christ in the spreading of that gospel. And that, note, Paul helps us here. The, the way that we share in Christ's afflictions, the way we fill up what is lacking in his afflictions, is because of the fact that he is the head and we are his body. That's, that's the connection between our afflictions and his afflictions, because we're a part of the same body. He's the head, we're the body. But it is about this spreading of the gospel, and, and when, when we, when we suffer as his body for the sake of the gospel, we share in his suffering. What Paul's gonna say in Philippians, you know, he wrote Philippians about the same time, that, that we share fellowship with Christ by sharing in his suffering in that. Um, and, and there's a, I don't know, there's a, there's a quiet, wonderful feeling to know that that affliction I just went through for the sake of sharing the gospel with somebody else in some way is connected to the suffering of Christ in the work that he's doing in the world. It's hard even to describe, but that, that's, I think Paul kind of runs out of language and I'm not doing so well either, but, but that's what he's saying, right? It's not redemption, Christ's redemption is not incomplete, but by sharing in his suffering, we are fulfilling the will of God. We are fulfilling Christ's desire in spreading the gospel to the world. And in that way, we are, we are filling up Christ's affliction, so to speak, uh, because of our association with him. Uh, you can cross-reference, Sally mentioned 2 Corinthians 4, that uses similar language. We always carry around in us the dying of Jesus. Um, but, th- but that's the idea here that we... And, and you know, um, I, I mentioned this in my sermon a couple of weeks ago. When the early church was beaten up and told not to preach the gospel and they ran them out of town, you know, they didn't run to their favorite Christian lawyer to talk about a lawsuit about Christian liberty in the country. You know, not that that's a bad thing to do, but they, they rejoiced that God counted them worthy to suffer for His sake. And you're not gonna rejoice when you suffer that God has counted you and I worthy to suffer if this is not our perspective. 
So anyway, but actually that's not even his, really his point here, right? That the suffering is, is part of it. But look at this, verse 25, he says, it's worth it. I rejoice in my suffering if it's going to benefit you. I'm doing my part to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, meaning in my association with him, he suffered. I'm going to suffer as a, a gospel carrier. But all of that to what end? Look at verse 25. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. There it is again, right? This is all about your benefit. So that I may fully carry out the preaching of the word. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery amongst the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What, what's he saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you're not going to believe this. God has granted me to be an ambassador, a minister of this centuries-long mystery that has now been revealed, and, and I get to go tell people about this, this mystery revealed, this incredible news. And you say, what's the incredible news, Paul? It's that Christ can be in you, and you can be in Him. I mean, can you can you think, if, if we're thinking rightly, to go out in this broken, suffering world and say, not only does the God of the universe want a relationship with you, He wants to be connected to you in a deeply personal way. And God's calling me to be the waiter to serve that incredible meal to a, a starving world. Um, so, so, so what does this mean for us? He's talking about his ministry. You say, I'm not an apostle. I didn't get to write half the New Testament. I know. But, but, but here, here's, here's the connection. God is calling you and me likewise to a similar ministry. Uh, we, we, we read this in 2 Corinthians a while ago. We are ambassadors for Christ. If anyone's in, uh, if anyone is in Christ, and, and how many is that? If anyone is in Christ, does that cover most of you? He is a new creation, right? That's where it is. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All these things are from God who reconciled us through Christ and he has given to you and me the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God was making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Yes, Sheila. Yeah, that's it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate what you're saying. Cause Sheila's saying, let's think about this through the Romans 8 lens, right? And that, that's true. This is part of the all things. But, but, you know, you're right that, um, people pay more attention, I think, when we are in the midst of suffering. Cause suffering does reveal what we value and what are, what we deem worthy. And so I think, I think you're right. I think we do shine brighter in the darkness and, and people see a brighter savior when we're walking through affliction and, and loving him well, right? So very good. So, so, so this, is, this is the call, right? Follow Paul's example by embracing your ministry. All of you have a ministry. Uh, some of you are dads, some of you are grandparents, some of you are husbands or wives. 
you have ministry to one another in your family. Uh, many of you are involved at different levels here in the church. You got you got you know short people in, in Awana or Sunday school that you're ministering to. Uh, you have co-workers that you're called to share the gospel to. Extended family. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are doctors. And you just, whatever it is, right? It's all about my ministry of sharing the gospel. And, and notice what is he saying? Put it all together. I am willing to rejoice in the cost, even if it means suffering, to fulfill my ministry. And, and this, this is, again, it's this radical stuff. It, it's saying as, as, as individual Christians, as Grace Bible Church, to find a joy in carrying out our ministry, whatever it is, of sharing the gospel, whatever it is, to equipping the saints for the work of service, whatever it is, and to find joy even in the suffering that that brings because Jesus is worth it and the cause of the gospel is worth it. And so we, we follow that. Um, let's not drop the ball when our number is called in, in, in the game, right? It, it's so easy to drop the ball in your ministry because we go, I'm not sure I'm willing to pay the cost to do that. Um, so Paul, Paul is a great example there. You say, okay, so, so what, what is, what is this, um, so every Christian is a minister of the gospel, right? Um, so, so what is this, uh, what is this ministry? What is this gospel? You say, okay, everybody's a minister, right? Everybody has a ministry. Uh, what do we do, right? We're ambassadors. What, what does an ambassador do? He brings the message, right? He represents, you know, the president or the king or whoever it is. Uh, can I give you an outline? I, I don't know of a simpler outline in the whole Bible for what constitutes uh, our job as Christians. And um, you ready? So here it is. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That's it. That, 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 that's our job description in two verses. Um, paint that on your bathroom mirror, okay? Put it up in your car, uh, rehearse it, memorize it, because this, this is it. This is it in a nutshell. Let, let me give it to you, uh, just breaking it down. We have a message, right? We proclaim him. The Greek text changes the word order around for emphasis. It's actually him we proclaim, right? He puts the, the object before the subject. You say, that's bad grammar, Pastor Keith. Well, not in Greek, actually. If you flip that around, what Paul's doing is he's putting an exclamation point on the reality that Christ is our message, what did Paul say to the Corinthians? I don't have anything else to tell you, but Christ. Christ is the message, right? We proclaim him. So, so it's not complicated. It's not complicated. Um, talk about Jesus with people. Talk about Jesus with people. See, that, that's awkward and hard sometimes. Yeah, I know. Talk to people about what Jesus is doing in your life. Make it biographical. Hey, can I show you? What, what I learned this last week, or maybe you're on an airplane, or maybe you're, you meet somebody at the soccer field, and it's, it's like it's brand new. Can, can I tell you about a wonderful thing that happened in my life 20 years ago? You know, make it autobiographical, but just, it's just talking about Jesus. 
Um, but our message is, don't feel like you have to be an expert in the cults or some apologetic guru. I mean, that, that, that's important and that's good training. But, but Paul's saying, look, it's simpler than that. Just proclaim him. Proclaim the person. You say, well, what do I talk about Jesus? Well, do you remember the first part of the, of the chapter? <laughs> he, he just spent the whole chapter giving us material. So we got lots of material there, right? He's the maker of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He, he died on the cross. He rescued us. So you got lots of material there. So what, when he gets to him, we proclaim that him is loaded with all the theology of the first part of the chapter. Okay, so we can, we can use that. Okay, so him we proclaim. That's the message. Notice the method admonishing every man and teaching every man. That word admonish, uh, you, you guys know that. That's one of the biblical words for counseling. You say, oh, but I'm not a biblical counselor, Pastor Keith. I, I can't. Ad-. No, it just means having a conversation about Jesus, talking about the word. Um, here, here's a great idea. Pick a topic that is in the news and bring it up with somebody and tell them what the Bible says about it. It's just, it's just it's sharing, uh, sharing that with one another. The method is admonishing or discipling or counseling every man and teaching every man. So, so this is not lifestyle evangelism, although it's good to live your faith. This is conversational evangelism. This is talking evangelism. Yes, to be faithful in your ministry, you have to open your mouth. For some of you, that's going to be a challenge, but that's okay. Uh, that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming a great Savior by discipling and teaching, counseling. And, and if we want, if there's a nuance between teaching and counseling, it's that teaching is more education. Counseling or discipling is more like, so what, right? How does this apply to my life? Um, I, you, want, you know why I love counseling, to be honest? I love to help people that would never think of going to their Bible for help with their marriage or their addiction or their anxiety or their whatever, right? I love to open up the book and show them how relevant it is for what they're struggling with. And they're like, that was in there? I've looked at the Bible for 20 years. And I'm, yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's, not, it's not like I'm telling them anything new. All, all discipling is, it's connecting the truths of God to a person's experience. That's all you're doing there. And that's what you're doing in your personal life. It's what you're doing with your kids. So just take that and then share it with other people. So the message, the method, notice the goal that we may present. Oh, oh, back up real quick. Did you notice the repetition? He says something three times. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching so that we might present. Yeah, you got it, right? Um, when you hear things repeated like that, what should we do? Probably should pay attention to that, right? So what's he emphasizing? Teach Jesus to everyone. And, and, and what, what a way to look at the world. That, that every potential person is a potential gospel conversation. And you know, there's wisdom in that, right? I mean, it's, it's not always the right place, the right time. And you know, we, we use wisdom with that. But, but that, that's, that's the scope. Let, let's not, let's not have too narrow of an idea of our ministry. I mean, who knows what God might do as we're just faithful to share the gospel with whoever we come across. Uh, so it's admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom. What's the goal? To present every man complete in Christ. That's teleon. It means mature. It means our job isn't done until everybody looks like Jesus. Until everybody is reflecting his character, that's, that's speaking in his ways, that's acting the way he would, that, that's valuing what he values. 
That's the goal, right? Notice the goal is not getting a Master of Theology degree. Did you notice that? It doesn't say that. The goal is not getting a certificate of Bible. Uh, The the goal is not getting uh, some sort of, you know, I've uh, I've got Hodge's systematic theology on my shelf, right? I mean, books are great. You know me. I love books. I have too many of them. But the goal is not education. The goal is transformation. Please see that. The goal is transformation, that we may present every man mature in Christ. Notice the drive. For this purpose also I labor. Mark that word, labor. And striving. I told you that ministry is not a vacation, isn't it? That this is, you know, when you get the email advertising that cruise ships or, you know, cruises are back and COVID's all done and you get a new cruise ship and go to the Bahamas or Mexico or, or somewhere. It doesn't say, come with us on our cruise ship. You will labor and strive for seven days with us. Doesn't say that, does it? It says things like relax, enjoy yourself, kick up your feet, right? And see, this is the opposite here of what we're talking about. That this is, this is not a holiday. This is work. And, and th- th- this is what should put fire in our bones, guys. This is, what, this is what should energize the blood in our spiritual veins that we look at a lost world. We've been entrusted with a great message. We're awed by a great Savior. And we say, yeah, let's go do it today. And whatever I have to sacrifice is worth it because he's a worthy Savior. And this is an eternal cause. Um, can, can I just say it really bluntly? Laziness will undermine our faithfulness in our mission. A love for comfort will undermine our faithfulness in our mission. Uh, a, a love affair with ease will undermine our faithfulness in our mission. And um, Paul doesn't strike me as a guy that, that thought about comfort and ease a whole lot as he's writing from his jail cell. Um, so let's, let's follow his example. Now, now, you look at this, we proclaim him, that's our message, admonishing every man, teaching every man with wisdom, that's the method. Oh, by the way, I, f- I forgot with wisdom. You know what that means? Let's not be reckless for Jesus. Let, let, let's not be blunt for Jesus. Let, let, let's not offend people and unnecessarily step on their toes for Jesus. Let's be wise, let's be careful, let's be strategic, let's be prayerful. That's what wisdom means. Okay, so the message, the method, the goal to present every man complete in Christ, the drive, for this purpose also I labor, striving. And about this time you're going, man, I don't know, Pastor Keith, this is a lot, isn't it? This is, this is a lot to put on our shoulders. And that's why we need the last part, the power, right? For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. As we as believers take a step of obedient faith to endeavor to be faithful in our mission in terms of what he's saying here, we will find that the person and work of Christ who we learned earlier, we are united to with his death and his burial and resurrection, the the person of the Holy Spirit, not mentioned in context here, but nonetheless in other passages, energizing our efforts that as we take steps of obedient faith to be faithful in our mission, we find that that the, the spiritual wind in our sails comes to propel us to do things that seem overwhelming to do. 
Because it's his work, ultimately, isn't it? What did Paul tell the Philippians? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But remember, it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. it's, It's that synergistic relationship. This is the Toyota Prius of Christianity, right? It's this hybrid It's I I work out my salvation, I strive according to his power, I present the gospel, I talk to people, and as I do that, I'm relying completely and wholly and dependent upon an all-sufficient and all-powerful Savior who's working in and through my efforts to accomplish his purposes. And so, are we exhausting ourselves for Jesus? Yes, we are. But we're exhausting ourselves motivated and empowered by a sufficient Savior. Now, watch this. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I've had on your behalf for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from a full assurance of understanding, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to know, Colossians, how great a struggle I have had on your behalf. You say, why would he say, is he bragging? He's like, hey, I want you to know, I went through all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. No, no, no. He's saying that as an encouragement, right? He's saying, I want you to be encouraged to remember that are people like me, people like Epaphras, People like Tychicus, people like Timothy that are praying and laboring for your benefit. And so what do we gain out of that? I I think we gain this last point. Be encouraged by those who have labored so that you may know and grow in the full assurance of understanding Christ himself. This is a reminder to think about those people that have invested in your spiritual life. Okay, so as, as, we, as we close here, I want you to think about who those people are. Who invested in you as a child? Who invested in you as a teenager? Who invested in you as a college student or as a young adult? Who invested in you? Maybe you came to Christ later in your life. Someone invested in you. God put people in your life who labored, who did exactly what we just read so that you and I would know Christ. Do you have that person in your mind? Or maybe it's a few people. Uh, This is the guy that led me to the Lord right here on the screen. Uh, Just a fellow college student. And in God's kind providence, we might get to see him here next week on our way uh, to vacation. Um, The the tall guy there in the back there was my mentor in college, my, my pastor who, when I became a Christian, took an interest You know, some of these guys, who was it for you? And be thankful that they labored and let their example motivate you to be faithful. All right. Father, thank you for, thank you for these men. Thank you for the people in our minds right now who invested in us so that we might know you and grow. They labored so that Christ might be full in us. And with those blessings of your grace in our minds, might me be faithful to do the same for other people. 
to labor and strive and inconvenience ourselves and suffer and pour out our life like it's an offering until Christ is proclaimed, until everyone is mature in Christ. Father, help us not to drop the ball on our mission. Help us to be faithful in this hour. Thank you that we have a sufficient Savior who empowers us. May your will be done in us. In Christ's name, amen.